Well, happy Father's Day to all of those of you who are fathers. If you are a father, a stepfather, a father-in-law, a uh, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, if you're any one of those categories, would you just stand where you're at, please? Be proud. All right. Very good. Thank you, guys. Listen, I'm not going to do a Father's Day uh, sermon today, but I wanted to just uh, offer you a word of encouragement, guys, that the more time you spend uh, uh, with your children, uh, the more uh, successful they will be in life in just about every area. A lot of statistics we could go through, but the reality is uh, 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 part-time fathers do better than absentee fathers. Full-time fathers do better than part-time fathers. And the reality is the more time we spend with our children, the more we invest in them, uh, the more their lives will uh, be successful in virtually every way that you could measure. Uh, Kids whose fathers are in the picture and active uh, stay out of prison more, uh, they finish high school more, they graduate from college more. Uh, they just are, are better in every way uh, because they fulfill, in a sense, uh, that key part uh, that God has designed. Uh, not that moms aren't a really key part, too. They are. Uh, but there's something about fathers, and I've said it before, but uh, in some ways, um, you know, uh, we all kind of get a little bit of our view of who God is from our fathers, good, bad, ugly, whatever way it is. Uh, we just get some baggage from our fathers, and we also get um, some really positive things. And so, uh, gentlemen, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to just do everything you can uh, to show your children, no matter what age they are, uh, who Jesus is through the way that you love them and serve them and live, uh, in, in, you know, uh, to help them and to just so- show those things to them. So I want to encourage you today, and happy Father's Day, by the way. Glad you're here. Uh, by the way, if you're a guest today, I just want to let you know, we don't let just anybody from the worship team come up and, and preach. Uh, whenever anybody's uh, here as a guest, and I fill in every six months for Corey when he's on vacation or something, everybody goes, wow, I, I've never been to a church where they let the drummer preach. I'm actually the lead pastor here at Fellowship of Grace. I just happen to play the drums. So I'm actually a drumming preacher. I'm not a preaching drummer. If that makes any sense, I don't know if it does or not, but just to alleviate any of your fears, or maybe it gives you more, I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, I know people are always concerned when they go, well, I've never been to a church where the drummer preaches too. Well, I'm not really the drummer, uh, as you can probably tell. So let's get started. <laughs> Listen, we're in the middle of the book of Acts. I'm very excited about this morning. I think there's some really great principles for us to grasp out of this um, uh, section of Scripture. Uh, as you remember, uh, we're in the middle third Uh, We've talked about the Jerusalem ministry, and that's all been in the first third of the book. We're now in the middle of the book, uh, the Judean-Samarian ministry, and we will soon be into the ministry to the uttermost parts of the world or the ends of the earth, depending on your translation. And um, uh, we saw in the last couple of weeks, uh, this guy Saul, and we saw him being this incredible uh, persecutor of the church, a defender of the true Jewish faith. And uh, we saw that he had this... this, uh, really incredible experience with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. It transformed him. It made him into a different human being. And today we're going to see Saul as he preaches to the Jews. Now this is really kind of an amazing thing. He doesn't do this actually very long. The majority of his ministry will actually be to the Gentiles. Uh, But he starts here in this part of Acts preaching to the Jews and some very interesting things take place. And I think we can get some very timely principles uh, or timeless principles out of this passage. So let's just read the passage through first. I think it always helps us uh, to just kind of get a little context into the the, uh, uh, scripture in Acts chapter 9. And today we're going to be looking at verses 19 
through 31. Let's take a look and see what they say. It says, For some days he, and that's being Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So we see here that everywhere Saul went, he created havoc. He created a stir. Every time he preached, it seemed there was a a riot. Uh, You know, I'm kind of excited about the fact that uh, people don't at least riot when I preach, you know. Uh, But I want us to start here and see this first. Everyone was amazed at Saul's preaching about Jesus. Now, when you first look at verses 19 through 21, just on the surface, it might look like they were amazed at his message. But I want to tell you that's not exactly why they were amazed. In reality, they were amazed at who was preaching this message, that Jesus is the Son of God. They were amazed because Saul was the one delivering this message. Let's look at it very closely again, 19 through 21. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Of course, if you're not wanting to get into an argument, that's probably not the place to go. Saying, and here's the message, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? See, they weren't amazed necessarily by his message. They were amazed at who was preaching and what he was saying. Uh, Isn't this the guy who came with a a list of Christians to capture and take back to Jerusalem to the chief priests and possibly be killed? Isn't this the guy that was persecuting other people that talked this way? Isn't this the guy that wanted to kill Christians? Isn't this the guy that, that came here with a list to grab up everyone he could who seemed to go the direction of following Jesus. What in the world is going on that he would be preaching that Jesus is the Son of God? That's what they're thinking. That's what they're thinking. They were shocked. Now, now you all don't look too shocked right now. So let me just just put this in our terms. Let's say you came to church this morning, and, 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 and some of you have known me for a very long time, 
And let's say you came in this morning and I wasn't filling in on the drums. We had the same music service as always. And then when it came time for me to preach, I came out from this side door and I had my head shaved and I was in this bright orange robe and I came out here and I said, hey guys, listen, I want you to know I've been wrong my whole life. I'm now a Hare Krishna. How shocked would you be? Now you should be pretty shocked. Okay? Because by the way, that'll never happen. I'm not shaving my head for anybody. Uh, uh, but, but seriously, if I did that, you would just be going, what in the world is going on? That, what's, what, that's crazy. That's what these people were saying. That's their responses. They were saying, what is going on? This is a guy that was on our side. This was the guy that was uh, putting these people in their place. Uh, putting this cult down where it goes, you know, and, 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 and taking these people by the throat and just wringing their necks. And now he's saying the same thing they're saying, except he's probably saying a little stronger. In fact, if you see, uh, we only have one uh, little tiny phrase of Saul's sermon. Jesus is the Son of God. Now that was probably his theme probably his title. That was probably at the top of his handouts and the top of the PowerPoints. Jesus is the Son of God. He was preaching that, and they were shocked out of their minds, folks, because it was the last thing they expected to hear coming out of his mouth. But I think it's really cool what happens next. The Scriptures say that Saul kept proving Jesus as the Son of God. Look what it says in verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, that's a very interesting word. I spent some time on it this week. I looked at it in about, uh, I think, eight or ten different translations. I uh, even went back to my Greek New Testament. I don't speak Greek, but I have a, a Greek New Testament where it has a number under every word. And I can compare where that particular word is everywhere else in the Scripture. And I found out that this word proving, after all that time and effort and energy, what this word proving really means is proving. Okay? Uh, all that scholarly, uh, you know, I'm glad I did all that work for you, all that scholarly thinking. Now, now, the interesting thing about this is we don't know how uh, Saul is proving Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, we don't exactly know what he's saying. We, the scripture doesn't tell us. Perhaps he is debating with them uh, apologetics. And what apologetics are, are ways to uh, debate a topic like this, uh, uh, looking at information uh, that either is for or against proving Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I want to tell you, folks, Christianity is not a dumb and ignorant faith. It's not a close my eyes, step off the cliff, and hope everything is okay. That's not the kind of faith that we have. Okay, if I had never seen an airplane before, and I had never seen an airplane in the sky before, and I walked out onto a tarmac and you said, hey, get in this thing, it's going to fly through the sky, I'd never believe it. I would have 0% faith that that could ever happen. But the first time I did get on a plane, I had all the faith in the world that it would do it because I had some information. I had never been on a plane before, but I had some information. I'd seen them take off and land before. I'd seen, you know, hundreds and thousands of other people be on planes. My friends had told me they'd been on trips on planes and gone to places all over the world. I had a pretty good intelligent faith, but it was still faith because I'd never met the pilot. I didn't, 
you know, it just, I had to believe and act on my belief that this plane could get off the ground. Does that make sense? It wasn't a dumb, stupid, uh, ignorant faith. It was an intelligent, but still faith. That's what Christianity is, folks. When you look at all the information, when you really look at all of the, uh, uh, the proofs that are out there, I think you can only come to one conclusion, and that is that Jesus Christ, I think the information and the evidence shows that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, he's the Son of God. He, actually, he's whoever he says he wants to be. Listen, when a guy raises from the dead, he gets to call the shots, and he gets to declare himself to be whoever he wants to be. And so I look at that and I go, okay, maybe Saul was doing, maybe Saul was debating them like that. We don't know. And by the way, when it says that Saul increased in strength, it wasn't just because he was eating now. You know, for those three days he was blind, he was, he was uh, uh, fasting. Uh, he wasn't only just feeling physically stronger, but he was feeling uh, uh, spiritually stronger. And we see here that his strength was confounding the Jews. Whatever he was talking to them about, it was boggling their minds. Perhaps he was doing no more than sharing his testimony. Perhaps he was doing nothing more than saying, hey guys, look, I was on your team. I saw things the way you see things. Then I was just going uh, down this road to Damascus, minding my own business, looking for Christians to kill, and Jesus appeared to me. And I saw him face to face, folks. And there's nothing that you can tell me or say to me that will change my mind. I have experienced it. I have witnessed it. I have experienced it. Folks, there's nothing. We've talked about it before, but there's nothing, nothing that can out-argue my experience in Jesus. He has changed me. It it can't be dismissed. Whatever Saul was doing, we don't know, but whatever he was doing, he was winning the debate. However they were talking about it, however much they were arguing or trying to convince each other or what was happening, however he was doing it, he was winning the debate. Now, I've talked to people. uh, I've worked uh, in my secular jobs. I've worked mostly in science jobs. And I've been with guys who have uh, uh, doctorates in all kinds of uh, chemistry, uh, nuclear chemistry, all kinds of different things, biochemistry, uh, some really intelligent people. And some of them have told me, hey, I, you know, I don't buy this Jesus thing, Michael. And I said, well, let's talk about it. Let's look at the evidence. Some of them are at the very beginning. They say, I don't even want to talk about it. I've already made up my mind. I don't want to look at any evidence because I don't want to have to refute it. So I don't even want to talk about it. Some of them kind of go halfway. They feel themselves starting to get boxed in. And they go, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Look at the time. I got to go. I got, a, I got a meeting. I got to do whatever. They feel, but the ones that get so, all the way, I've had a couple of guys in my lifetime go, look. I admit that the evidence shows Jesus is probably the Son of God, but I'm still not buying it. Okay, fine. You want to have more faith in your unbelief? Go right ahead. But the reality is, when you look at the evidence, you come to a conclusion. I don't know if Saul was doing that, but I hope he was. But whatever he was doing, he was winning the debate. They were feeling boxed in. It says their minds were confounded. They were confused. They were like, I I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Then what happens? Well, we see then that Saul escapes from Damascus. Look what it says in verses 23 through 25. After he's won this debate with them and he's, he's confounding them, they're simply confused by what he's saying because it seems so true. It says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. If you can't win, kill him. <laughs> but their plot became known to Saul. 
They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. The Jews were watching the gates day and night, it says, to find and kill Saul. You know, Damascus was not unlike other cities of this day. They had a a wall around the city, almost the entire city, to protect it from outside armies or wild animals or all those kinds of things. We don't know exactly how many gates Damascus had, but the scriptures say that they were watching them all. It's like they had a, a security camera at every gate. There was a couple of guys standing there watching for Saul, and when they found him, they were going to kill him. That was their plan. Now, I want you to see here that Saul did not turn tail and run away. Saul wasn't afraid of being caught. Saul wasn't afraid of being killed. Saul wasn't afraid of their plan. In fact, it wasn't Saul himself. Did you see whose plan it was? It said his disciples decided to do this to save his life. The guys that were following him, listening to his preaching, listening to his, his de- declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the ones that were following him and listening to him, they were the ones that decided, we've got to get Saul out of here. They were probably thinking, he who escapes today gets to preach tomorrow. Uh, he had become a too big of an important thing in the life of the church at that point. And they said, we've got to save this guy. We've got to hang on to this resource. So they snuck him out of the city. It wasn't Saul's doing, but those who were with him snuck him out. We see later now that once Saul gets out of Damascus, he goes to Jerusalem. And the believers in Jerusalem were skeptical before accepting Saul. (coughs) We couldn't blame them for that, right? When this guy left Jerusalem, he left with a list of names. A list of people that he was going to uh, capture and bring back to Jerusalem to give over, turn over to the chief priests. Uh, some to be imprisoned, some to be tortured, some to be killed. Who knows? But that's how he left Jerusalem. Now he comes back. What do you think they're going to think? Look what it says in verses 26 through 28. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. You know, they obviously thought uh, Saul was a spy. If this guy came and and said, hey, I'm one of you guys now, let me in. You know, he probably uh, came up to the door where the disciples were all inside. He probably gave the secret knock, offered him the secret handshake, whatever. He, he said, hey, let me in. I'm part of the guy. You know, I'm part of the club now. Let me in. These guys are going, don't let him in. Are you crazy? He's coming in here to get our names. We're going to make the list. Don't let this guy in. They were avoiding him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. And then Barnabas, a trusted disciple, a trusted and loyal disciple, kind of puts his arm around Saul and goes, hey, guys, and we don't know Uh, We don't know if Barnabas was in Damascus or not. We don't know how he knew this. But he basically puts his arm around Saul and says, Hey guys, he's with me. I'm vouching for Saul. Okay? Uh, He preached boldly in Damascus, and he saw the Lord on on the road to Damascus, and he's one of us, guys. You can trust him. And the disciples trusted Barnabas so much that they basically began to trust Saul. 
In fact, when it says that Saul went in and out among them, it means that they fully trusted him. In other words, when he came in, they weren't keeping one eye on what was going on and one eye over there on Saul to see if he's writing down names. They let him come in and out from among them. He had a key to their building. He, he had free reign to be a part of them. He, he was one of them. He was accepted in every single way as a disciple. Once Barnabas vouched for him. And of course, then they heard from Saul's own lips how he preached the word of God boldly. And then, as if you could you know, call it easily, Saul has to escape from Jerusalem. People in Jerusalem get mad about what he's saying. Look in verses 29 and 30. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. The Jews are trying to kill him again. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So here we see again the Jews were seeking to kill Saul because of what he was preaching. But we also see again his friends find a way to sneak him out of trouble. They get him out of town. Saul's not planning to get out of town. They get him out of town. And I want you to just notice the word. I'm leaving it up there specifically for this. Look what it says there. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. You remember before it said the disciples. And, and folks, when you see things like this where the scripture repeats things, but there's something different, you need to really, as you're reading the Bible, you need to really focus on those things. Things that are the same and things that are different. In the previous story, where the story is almost the exact same thing, it says the disciples got him out of town. Now he says the brothers got him out of town. What's the big deal? Folks, we'll talk about this a little bit in a few minutes when we talk about applications of this. But Saul had become one of them so much, he was part of a family. He was no longer an outsider, he was part of the family. And when I make reference to or talk about the Fogg family, the Fellowship of Grace family, folks, we are a family. We're a family. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But these guys were no longer just his disciples. These guys, these guys were brothers in the faith. They had the same father. They had the same brother, Jesus Christ. They are of the same family. The last thing I want you to see in the scripture this morning is this. The church had a time of peace and multiplied. Verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now that seems pretty simple there, but there's some important things there I want you to see. Remember we talked about early on, you're going to see three growth reports in the book of Acts. We're going to see continually that there's three ways the church grows. The church grows first numerically by adding people to it. The church grows spiritually, and the book of Acts talks about uh, the word of God expanding or the word of God growing both in people and in its influence, spiritual growth. And then it also says that the, the uh, church grows geographically in the sense that it spreads out in geographical regions. And so the church grows in three ways. And one of the things we always need to be looking at is, is fellowship of grace growing numerically? Is it growing spiritually? And is it growing geographically? We look at that and we kind of uh, design things that help us to grow. And we also decide that we, we just do the things that make us healthy because healthy bodies grow and sick bodies die. 
And so uh, we want you to think about these two things, but I want you to see something very interesting about this. It doesn't say that Christians were added. It's a whole new level now. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church multiplied. We've gone from adding to one body to multiplying churches. And we're going to see that, that, you know, a great deal of Saul's, the rest of Saul's ministry is going to be planting churches. That's why our church is always interested in planting more churches. Now, we're not just here to, to grow a big church on this place. Now we want to see more people come to know Christ. We want to see more people in this room uh, being discipled. We want all that to happen. But ultimately, it's not to grow a big uh, a church here so we can say, hey, look at this big church on this piece of property. That's not it. We want to multiply. We want to multiply. I'm going to uh, Manila in uh, October, the 12th through the 21st, to meet with some church planters. And we're going to partner with some, some guys across the world in Southeast Asia who are attempting to plant churches there. I want us to work with churches here in Missouri that are attempting to plant churches. I, I already, for the Missouri Baptist Convention, I coach uh, church planters. Uh, I'm a part of, of assessing them and getting them support from the Missouri Baptist Convention and helping them uh, to get planted. There's other ways we can, we can partner with them to help them. We want to grow to the place where we can uh, say at some point when God sends us somebody who feels called and led to plant a church, we want to encourage 20 or 30 of you to go with them to plant a church out of our church, just like we did with Legacy Church. And, and maybe that church will be in Lee Summit. Maybe it'll be in Raytown. Maybe it'll be in Liberty. Maybe it'll be five blocks down the street. And I know some of you are saying, well, why in the world would we plant a church five blocks down the street? Well, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? I mean, there's a church on every corner. Well, you know, when we were getting ready to plant Fellowship of Grace, we were going to meet at Zona Rosa in the comedy club at first. And I went to a Pastor Rick, who is the pastor at North Heartland Community Church, which is just one exit down. And I said, hey, Pastor Rick, I just wanted you to know before we launch that we're getting ready to, to plant this church. And it's only a, a one exit down from you. I hope you're okay with that. He goes, Michael, I'm so okay with that. He said, look, there are people that are going to love your preaching and are going to hate mine. There are people that love mine that hate yours. There's going to be people that love our music and hate your music and some that love your music and, love, and hate our music. There's going to be some people that love your building and hate our building and love our building. You know, on and on it goes. He said, Michael, we're not in competition with you. We're in competition with everything else that draws people away from God and draws people away from church on Sunday mornings. We're on the same team. I learned a great lesson from him. Guys, we're not in competition with other churches. If we can plant another church five blocks down the road and it grows and we keep growing, why wouldn't we do that? We're not about building this kingdom. We're about building the kingdom. Okay? Now, I understand, you know, if you, if you send 20 or 30 people out every month, where we are now, we're, there's not going to be any kingdom here at all before long. So we have to grow, okay? And we want to grow here too. But I want you to see here this very important thing in this passage. Because the church has gone, when it comes to numerical growth, the church has gone from adding to the body to multiplying churches. And we're going to see the rest of the book of Acts that really is all about that. So it's important that we get that. Okay? So what are some application takeaways from this passage this morning? 
Well, first is this. No one is too far away from God that they cannot be truly converted by him. When you think about the, the, the Apostle Saul, when you think about him and the way he was, if you were a Christian at the time whose name was on his list, you would think that is the last guy that is ever going to follow Jesus. There is no hope for that guy, Saul. He hates Christians. He hates Jesus. He's doing everything he can to stop this movement. There's no possible way he will ever, ever, ever become a Christian. I have to confess to you that there have been people in my life where I have listened to the voice of Satan in my ear thinking that people are too far from God. Uh, Folks, I want to encourage us to never, never, never think that way. Every single person in our life who claims to be an atheist, who claims to be agnostic, who claims to be a Jesus hater, they are not too far from God's gracious hand if he wants to reach down and touch them. And so it's important for us to be faithful, to minister to them, to love them, to witness to them, to share our testimony with them. And I don't mean be rude and, and, you know, in their face and, you know, obnoxious, but I'm just saying, folks, there's a a big wide gap between I'm not going to say a word and I'm going to be an obnoxious jerk. There's a lot of room in between there, okay? And we need to be careful that we don't believe those lies, that somebody is too far from God. Saul wasn't too far, and I'll bet we don't know anybody anybody who hates Christians more than Saul did. So think about that. Second thing I want you to take away from today is this. Changing a man's heart is a greater miracle than healing his body. You know, it's interesting when we look at that first third of the book, when we look at at the the ministry in, in Jerusalem, man, it is just every, I mean, these guys... Everywhere they turn, there's somebody being healed. There's somebody, uh, uh, you know, being raised from the dead. There's all these, you know, wild and miraculous things taking place. It's incredible. And, and now what we see is Saul is not doing those kind of things very much. What is Saul doing to profess Christ? What is Saul doing to confirm the message of Jesus. Remember, uh, uh, many times Peter would go into a, a city and, and a group of people and he would talk to them and they would say, you know, Peter, you're losing your mind. He'd go, oh, watch this, I'm going to raise this guy from the dead or I'm going to heal this guy. And it's not quite that simple, but he'd, he'd heal somebody and all of a sudden they'd listen up. Their ears would perk up because he had this incredible validity because of this miracle that took place. Saul's validity was in his own changed heart. He was the one saying, look, I used to be that guy. I used to be that guy that hated all of you. But now I want to tell you, Jesus is the Son of God. Folks, that is a miracle. That is something that cannot be done by human human effort. Only God can change a man's heart or a woman's heart. It is a great miracle. And if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I, I don't know if I buy this whole thing about Jesus either. I, you know, I've kind of been a Jesus kind of like, you know, a tender, kind of on the fringe, looking in, thinking Jesus is all right. He's a good guy. I can deal with him. But I'm not ready to really put my faith and trust in him. I'm not ready to give my life to him. 
listen, God wants to do a big miracle in your heart. He does. If you just crack the door open a little bit, I promise you he'll reach in and he'll do something miraculous in your life to your heart. Next thing I want you to see is this. Those who take Christ as their Savior also take his people as their family. Now you can put a little a plus sign or a negative sign by that, whichever you, however you see that. Uh, you know, if it's a positive or a negative. But listen, folks, we're family. Once you join the kingdom of God and you have the same father, we are family. And now listen, I have one sibling, a sister who's three years older than me. And when we were kids, we fought like cats and dogs. I mean, we fought. But the moment anybody would come against her, I'm telling you, I was right in there. I was right in there protecting her because she was family. She was my punching bag, not theirs. You know what I mean? There's just something that's different about family. And folks, listen. If you're in this room, and if you're a member of Fellowship of Grace, and there are other people as part of our body, as part of this church, who irritate you or frustrate you or anger you or you've got some big complaint about or gripe about or whatever, listen, work that out. Because we're family. We take care of one another. Uh, you know, one of the questions that comes up all the time in the New Member Connect is, what's so important about membership? I don't see anybody in the New Testament, you know, signing a membership card or anything. Why do we do that? It's not biblical. Okay, well, it might not be biblical, but it's incredibly practical. You know why it's practical? Because when somebody says, hey, I'm planting my flag with you guys. I'm in this family. I'm a part of this body. I'm one of you. Now, all of a sudden, they get all of the uh, responsibilities and privileges of being a member, just like a credit card company, okay? Except a lot better, except a lot better, okay? We look after each other. We take care of one another. We love each other in spite of our goofiness and idiosyncrasies. We got to act like family, folks, because we are family. We are family. And so take care of one another like family, just like it said in that passage. Saul's brothers got him out of town. Lastly, I want you to see this. The church should be multiplying in times of both peace and persecution. It's interesting, we've already seen uh, in, in this book that the church really thrived in times of persecution. When the church was being persecuted, uh, they decided to rise above it. Uh, they were going to face it anyway. They were going to still do uh, God's mission. They were still going to do what Jesus told them to do. Uh, they were going to do it anyway, and they grew because of it. And then we reached this time where things kind of hit a lull. There was peace in the churches. There wasn't as much persecution, and they still grew. They didn't sit back on their laurels and think, oh, yeah, nothing's going on right now. Let's just take it easy. No, no, no. We don't have to deal with all the persecution right now, so let's just grow more. I have had people accuse me at times of being really obsessed with growing this church that I, I'm not happy with it the way it is, that I want it to have more people in it. I want to confess to you that I am obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with this church and all the other Bible-believing churches in town to grow because there are still 220,000 lost people in Clay and Platt counties. And if you're not obsessed with growing the kingdom through this church, I want to ask you why you're not. I'll tell you why I am obsessed with it. 
you explain to me why you're not obsessed with it. Because I don't get it. I know you care about people. I know you believe the gospel is true. I know you believe when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's what he meant. Why are you not obsessed with it? Whether we're going through a peaceful time or whether we're going through a difficult time in our church, whichever it is, why are you obsessed with growing the kingdom? I think Jesus wants us to be. And if, if we're not, let's just repent of that and decide to be. I think there's some good things in this passage. I think there's some good principles that we looked at today. Wherever you're at, if you are thinking about the person or persons that you have thought are too far away from God, or, or whether you're here and you're wondering if God can do a miracle in your heart, uh, whether uh, you feel like it's a good thing or a bad thing to be a part of God's family, or, or whether you really don't care whether we grow or not, wherever you're at, why don't you just... Think about what you've heard today. Think about what the scriptures teach us here and, and just say, God, I'm, I'm just going to do what you want. I'm just going to be who you want. I'm just going to get on board with your plan and I'm going to see what you can do with my life. You know, one of my greatest fears, one of my greatest fears is that someday I'll face Jesus face to face and he'll say, Michael, I had such bigger things planned for you if you would have only given in. I wanted to use you in such a bigger way. I wanted to do so many more things with you. I wanted to use you to lead so many more people to me if you would have just given in a little more. If you would have just set yourself aside a little more and made me the, the center of your life a little more, I could have done so many great things with you. Folks, I don't want to have that regret. I don't know if it's going to work like that, but I'm just saying, I want to reach whatever my potential is for God. Whatever he's put in me to be, I want to, I want to yield to him enough that he can make it come out of me that much. I want you to do that too. I want us to all do that so that we can see what exactly it is that God can do with us. Because I really think he wants to do something mega incredible with us. I just don't think most of us ever find that or reach that because we keep too much back for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You teach us so many wonderful things through it. God, help us as we sang that last song today. Lord, I pray that we would just stand with, with just reckless abandon to yield our lives to you. Uh, to just say, God, do with me whatever you want. Uh, change me from the inside out. Make me who you want me to be and then use me for your kingdom uh, to see your kingdom come on earth. Father, we've seen your kingdom come in some people's hearts and lives. We've seen the way that you have worked to change them and to really revolutionize their lives. But God, use us in a greater way. We yield to you as individuals and as a church. And we ask that you come and fulfill your deepest uh, potential in us because we love you, because we believe what the scriptures say about death and life, and because we believe what the scriptures say about eternity and where people will spend all of eternity. Father, use us in a great way to reach out to these 220,000 people in Clay and Platt counties who still need to give their lives to you. God, we yield. We just yield. Help us today to just say, God, we yield, and we let you do what you want in us and through us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.